This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 105. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's topic, dealing with deponents who, for now, are asserting a Fifth Amendment, spousal, or other privilege. All right, today I want to talk briefly about the problem of party deponents who, in their deposition, assert the Fifth Amendment or other privilege to shield information, but who later may shed that privilege and offer testimony on summary judgment or in trial that they previously refused to provide you. Which is to say, the issue is how to guard against an 11th hour abandonment of a privilege and prevent your adversary from offering testimony or other evidence that they previously shielded. It's important to know that the invocation of a privilege in a deposition is not an irreversible act. It can be dropped or waived. In fact, there's no special procedure, no advance warning required for an opposing party to suddenly abandon a privilege and bury you with surprise evidence. But as the Federal Second Circuit Court of Appeals explained in the case 4000 Fifth Avenue, that's in the show notes, if a litigant in a civil proceeding seeks to waive his or her Fifth Amendment privilege only at the 11th hour, and the waiver appears to be part of a manipulative cat-and-mouse approach to litigation, the trial court can bar the litigant from testifying later, offering additional evidence about matters previously hidden from you through the invocation of a privilege. That concept, barring the last-minute disclosure of information, is called evidence preclusion. That's the search term you'll use if you ever have to face this issue. Now, when you encounter a privilege-bearing adversary, there are a series of steps you should take to protect your client's interests. This comes up most commonly in Fifth Amendment situations, but it can surface in other settings as well, such as in the context of a spousal privilege, which may later be dropped to allow testimony on emotional distress, doctor-patient privilege, same thing, and so on. The collective body of law, though, suggests that it comes up most frequently in Fifth Amendment situations, and it appears to be that that seems to be the privilege that is more likely than others to be asserted without a legitimate basis. So here's your toolkit. To avoid getting caught by surprise, there are six basic steps to it. First, always be on the lookout for party deponents who may have a privilege to assert. If you're proactive, you'll generally know whether this is going to be a potential issue in one of your cases. You'll also know what privileges your jurisdiction and courts recognize. Fifth Amendment privilege, recognized everywhere. Attorney-client privilege, same thing. Spousal privileges, not so much. All right. Second, if in deposition your opponent invokes a privilege, it's important to be prepared with a series of questions to test the precise contours of the privilege and to inquire whether the party asserting it ever intends to abandon the privilege in the lawsuit. It's important to conduct at least some examination of the party deponent asserting the privilege to A, assess the sufficiency of the basis for the privilege. In other words, is it legitimate? B, to develop a record so that the court can assess the sufficiency of the basis. And C, to get a commitment from the party deponent as to their future plans to adhere to or to abandon that privilege. You've got to probe because you have to know what questions exactly the party deponent will not answer based on an assertion of privilege. The deponent has to invoke the privilege on a question-by-question basis. It can't 
simply assert a blanket objection and refuse to be deposed. So you've got to walk through all of that to create the record. You have to ask the questions and get the Fifth Amendment assertion. That way, your record will be clear and thorough as to what the deponent will answer and what the deponent will not. Take a look at the prime media case in the show notes, because that's an example of what can happen when we don't ask the questions and flesh it out on the record for the court to look at later. The court there said, we understand the defendant's frustration about the assertion of Fifth Amendment privilege, but the defendant's counsel there apparently didn't ask the witness a series of questions to develop the record as to how and in what way the privilege was being asserted. Now, they did apparently, as this issue was litigated before the court, they did apparently submit questions to the court where they said, look, this is what we would have asked. But the court said we just can't rely on after-the-fact representations about what would or would not have been asked and what the answer would have been. So we can't just let the opposing lawyers stiff-arm us on this, bully us. By simply saying, look, we've invoked the privilege counsel and you need to stop asking questions. My response is, no, I understand that you've invoked the privilege, but I've got to test the contours of it. I've got to ask you a series of questions and we can do this in a nice slow pace and you can invoke the privilege as to each of the questions where you feel it's important to do so. I don't know what questions your deponent will or will not answer, but the case law is clear, I would say to counsel, uh, that I do have to develop the record, certainly if not question by question, at least by very specific topics. When that deposition is closed, I've got to have a crystal clear record as to what the privilege was being asserted on. Now, of course, if the party deponent or their lawyer gets their back up and storms out, I can always move to compel another deposition and to compel the individual asserting the privilege to come back and answer questions so that I can create a record for the court to later evaluate that assertion. Third step, all right? So first is be aware of situations where the privilege might arise. Second step is develop the record as to exactly in what settings and in what context the privilege is being asserted. Third step, if you have a good faith belief that the assertion of the Fifth Amendment privilege in particular is not legitimate, is to file a motion to compel to test the privilege or to challenge the obstruction and seek sanctions. Now, why move to compel? Well, some courts have said that an adverse inference instruction is only available if assertion of the privilege is legitimate. Adverse inference instruction meaning that the jury will be told that the witness about to take the stand has or will be asserting the Fifth Amendment privilege and that the jury can assume if it wishes, can infer from the assertion of the privilege that there is information that would be harmful to the party asserting it. Courts have said that that kind of instruction is only available if the assertion of the privilege is legitimate. Because if it's legitimate, a court has no authority to compel a response. This is a constitutional right. So giving an adverse inference instruction is the only available remedy for a party's deprivation of relevant evidence where the assertion is legitimate. That's the prime media case. If the assertion is not legitimate, then of course the remedy from the court is an order compelling the party deponent to answer the questions and failing that to impose other sanctions, including striking pleadings, dismissal, whatever may fit. 
Again, the Prime Media case in the show notes is a useful tool for analysis. There, the judge declined an adverse inference instruction in part because the counsel did not flesh out the record and in part because uh, the lawyers for the defendant didn't move to compel an answer by the plaintiff's witness. So there, the court really didn't have a solid record before it to decide if the assertion of the privilege was legitimate and to decide if an adverse inference instruction was warranted. Fourth step in post-deposition motion practice, usually at summary judgment time, is the filing of a motion to strike or preclude evidence. That's that evidence preclusion concept we talked about. If you're the party moving for summary judgment, you'll want to move to strike or exclude any declarations, affidavits, documents containing information that the party previously shielded from discovery because of a privilege and is now attempting to use in support of claims or defenses. If you're defending summary judgment, same thing. Fifth step, if needed, is a motion in limine to forbid testimony, more evidence preclusion, at trial that would have been explored in deposition but for the Fifth Amendment assertion. And finally, a sixth step to take is that adverse inference jury instruction. This is frosting on the evidence preclusion cake because that means if that instruction is given that the jury is not only going to hear the evidence, but they're also going to be told there's evidence they're not going to hear and that the adversary is shielding it from disclosure and they're doing that because the evidence probably harms them. Now, footnote, although an adverse inference jury instruction is available as a sanction for invocation of Fifth Amendment rights in a civil case, some courts have said it's not automatic even when there's a basis to give it because it's so powerful. Excluding evidence without telling the jury is one thing, but telling the jury that the adversary is likely hiding harmful evidence is obviously more punitive, especially since it's coming directly from the judge. So courts have said that the trial judge has to balance the hardships caused to each party, recognizing that there is a tension between one party's Fifth Amendment right and the other party's right to a fair trial. So decisions when to allow adverse inference instructions or to uh, refuse to give them are determined on a case by cases under what some courts say is the microscope of the circumstances of a particular piece of civil litigation. So if they say, no, I will never drop this privilege, does that mean that they can't again? I don't think so. But will that answer help protect you later? If they suddenly decide to drop the privilege and bomb you with surprise evidence, yes, clearly. Next practice pointer, if it's a Fifth Amendment privilege, it's fair to inquire about whether there are pending criminal charges and the dates, if known, that the criminal charges will come to a head, either with a plea, a verdict, appeal, whatever. If there are no pending criminal charges, then a fair inquiry is whether they've been threatened. Obviously, the privilege can't just be purely speculative or hypothetical. It's limited to those circumstances in which the person, the party deponent invoking the privilege, reasonably believes that his or her disclosures could be used in a criminal prosecution or could lead to other evidence that could be used in that manner. So the privilege against self-incrimination generally does not depend even on the likelihood, but rather the realistic possibility of prosecution and also covers those circumstances where the disclosures would not be directly incriminating, but could provide an indirect link 
the two incriminating evidence. And that's from the Highlander Holdings case in the show notes. As for other privileges that may be asserted, you'd ask the same kinds of questions to again flesh out the record on the precise boundaries of the assertion. Spousal privilege, for example. Things I'd want to know might include, was the communication to a spouse to whom the witness was married at the time of the communication? Or was it to a fiancé or a significant other? Most jurisdictions do not extend spousal privilege protections to couples who are not married or who at least don't have a legally cognizable relationship. Nor do they typically extend the protection as to spousal privileges to former spouses. So if the communications took place before or after the legally cognizable relationship, the privilege may not apply. All right, two other points and then we'll be done. We do need to be mindful that the invocation of the Fifth Amendment privilege may well be legitimate. So there is a limit to how far we can press once a witness has asserted that privilege. Our goal is to establish an evidentiary foundation for the court to determine whether the privilege exists. Not so much to conclude without court intervention that there isn't a legitimate privilege being asserted and to continue pounding the witness with questions that may well trigger criminal liability even though a privilege has been asserted. That's from the Highlander Holdings case in the show notes where the court did sharply criticize one of the plaintiff's counsel for continuing to aggressively press for answers after the witness had asserted a Fifth Amendment privilege. So we've got to develop the record, but it's, it's always a balance against ensuring also that the witness is able to assert that privilege legitimately. All right, last point. Uh, as I mentioned, the final piece of the puzzle may be to ask the court to give an adverse inference instruction. So the question is, what does an adverse inference instruction sound like in a civil case where the party deponent uh, has refused to answer certain questions by asserting the Fifth Amendment privilege? Well, here's an instruction. Here's the language of an instruction that was jointly proposed uh, by the parties in a civil case in New York. It's in the show notes. It's the in Ray 650 Fifth Avenue and related properties case. And here's the language that the parties jointly proposed. It didn't appear that the instruction was eventually given to a jury, but here's what the parties jointly proposed. The instruction was titled Inference from Parties' Assertion of Privilege Against Self-Incrimination. And here's the actual language of the proposed instructions. You have heard evidence that certain witnesses who used to be officers with or agents of the defendant declined to answer certain questions on the grounds of their Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination. The Fifth Amendment of the United States Constitution affords every person the right to decline to answer any questions if he or she believes that the answers may tend to incriminate them. The Fifth Amendment protects the innocent and the guilty alike. It may be properly invoked if the person has a good-faith belief that the answers to the government's questioning may become a link in a chain of evidence that could result in a criminal charge. However, in civil cases, you are permitted, but not required, to draw the inference that the withheld information would have been unfavorable to the defendants. Any inference you draw should be based upon all of the facts and circumstances in this case as you may find them. All right, that's the end of the instruction, and it cites as authority the author Sand, the book titled Modern Federal Jury Instructions, Instruction 75-5, 
and it also cites the federal Liberty case, which is cited in the show notes. All right, that's it for today. Very interesting topic, isn't it? It's one of those things that can really catch you off guard if you haven't given thought about it in advance, but it's something that you can also manage if you have. I think we all tend to assume that privileges, once asserted, are good for the life of the case, but that's just not always so. So you have to be ready. Don't forget that we put our research upon which each episode is based in the show notes for your use, and there are lots of citations in today's episode. If you ever have any questions about our podcast or you'd like us to cover a particular topic, shoot us an email at depositionpodcast at jimgaritylaw.com. Otherwise, have a great week, and we'll talk to you again soon.